You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Brandon Blewett. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Monday, October 30th, 2023. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Dave Askins reports on a potential consolidation of several city commissions. More in today's feature report. Abortion is normal and super common. It is okay to seek care in other states. We want Hoosiers to feel supported and not scared, even though it is scary. That's Jessica Marchbank from the Bloomington Office of All Options. Abortion is now illegal in Indiana with very few exceptions. And Marchbank has advice for Hoosiers struggling with reproductive rights. Hear more later in the show on a new episode of Activate. But first, your daily headlines. The Richland Bean Blossom School Board met on Monday, October 23rd. During visitor comments, library assistant and mom of three high schoolers that attend Edgewood High, Andrea Andrews spoke to the board about anxiety caused by sports. Recent studies in February of 2023 surveyed 216 and 17-year-olds, both male and female, from various sports and locations around our country. It reported that 91% have some level of anxiety from sports. Approximately 60% were experiencing moderate to extreme stress. Many athletes wanted to um, get help, but they didn't do, do so because they weren't aware of the mental health facilities, and they were worried about the stigmatism around mental health problems. Another study in 2019, before COVID, stated that nearly half the American youth struggle with some type of mental illness before the age of 18, while 12% have experienced depression. Many of our student athletes report higher levels of negative emotional state than our non-student athletes. And the study also found that athletes who are overtrained and they are exhausted, they are sleep deprived, and this is a major contributor to the anxiety and depression. Parents, we bear some responsibility to this, but also our coaching staff as well. Nothing personal. I love you guys. <laughs> Coaches who belittle athletes, erupt at them, and sometimes ignore athletes for days as punishments. Some of them encourage teammates to compete against each other. Some of them um, harass and shame less talented players, and they drum the need for mental toughness. We are asking for kids to have mental toughness in adolescents who are still developing that part of their brain. Our school program uses a TBIR, trust-based relational intervention, as our trauma-informed intervention that we use here at RBB. We are to correct, to connect, and empower our students in our corporation. I'm asking for you, all administration, to add coaches to our TBIR trainings. Pay them so they can properly know how to de-escalate and to see our students when they're on the verge of the mental crisis. They need to be taught the balance of school, athletics, and life. My own children were spending 35 to 37 hours each week on a sport. The stress and exhaustion took a toll on them, resulting in one of them having an emotional blow up the first time in six years, and the other one quitting to support his brother. 37 hours per week for one sport. On average, most of our high school sports spend anywhere between 12 to 15, 16 hours, depending on their game schedule. Guys, that's on top of 35 hours they're sitting over there in the building and the two to three hours of homework. And yet we're expecting our kids at this age to get nine to 10 hours of sleep. 
Thankfully, my student didn't have a set of keys in his hands that night after the situation. Thankfully, I was there to help him de-escalate and to triage the situation. But I worry about those students who drove off in emotional frenzy, who could have an accident or cause an accident. I worry about those athletes who go home and decide to end their lives because of what something that may have happened at practice. I am terrified of the student who comes to school the next day and we become the next news report of school violence because our kids could do this. They're capable. Our coaches need to be trained. Our students need to know that it's not okay. It's okay not to be okay. You guys, when we get sick, we can call in. We can have a day off. But our kids are told to tough it out and show up to practice anyway. And that's unacceptable. Child and adult services, over 100 students in our corporation. There is currently a waiting list for all of our schools. And they're hiring additional life school coaches and therapists to meet their needs. All of our employees, regardless of the hours employed, need to be trained and have the skills to see mental, emotional, and physical health of our students, not just on the bus, not on the classroom, but also on the field. Our students deserve this, and we must do better for them. Thank you. Junior High Assistant Principal and Athletic Director Jonathan Sieglin highlighted the actions of a middle school coaching staff that saved a mom's life at a football game in September. Tornadoes and everything, we read about that on the news, and there's other things that we we always see and we always um, say, I glad, I'm glad that's not us. I'm glad we're not dealing with that. Well, we had one of those moments at one of our football games, uh, September 28th, uh, 2023. We were playing Bachelor Middle School, um, and we had a student um, that had got injured on the football field. Um, our athletic trainer uh, and one of our team parents, who was a, a licensed nurse practitioner, had gone out to um, – Tend to the student, he'd been hit in the back. Um, he was kind of laying on the ground. And they were going out to see how he was doing. Well, um, mama was obviously upset about that. And so she was coming down to see what was going on. And on the way to the football field, um, she collapsed. Um, and obviously all the attention was given to the student on the field um, because that's where um, then we saw the immediate need. Um, well, um, mom was laying on the football field and um, as Coach Linerode started to walk off the field after he was attending to the student, um, you know, one of our student athletes was like, this, this mom is unresponsive right now. Um, and so um, you know, our football coaches, um, you know, every year we're trained. Uh, we go through sudden cardiac arrest training. We do um, heat um, training. We do the bloodborne pathogen training. We do all these trainings. Um, you know, and often it's like, you know, I'm glad we're doing these, but really I don't ever hope to ever have to use them. Um, well, um, and I'm just going to read the, the letter um, that we kind of crafted. Um, it just says, Edgewood Schools and the Edgewood Athletic Department would like to recognize the extraordinary bravery and quick thinking displayed by our seventh grade football coaches in a moment of crisis. Their swift actions, steady hands, and unwavering determination saved a life, reminding us of the impact individuals can have when faced with adversity. In the face of an emergency, the remarkable coaches demonstrated not only their expertise, but also their compassion and selflessness. Their knowledge of CPR, combined with their courage, helped save the life of one of the members of our Edgewood family. Their actions were not just a testament to the training, but also an example of the care they displayed for their team and families. We extend our deepest gratitude to these hometown heroes. Their actions exemplify the true spirit of community, reminding us that every life is precious and every moment counts. Through their dedication, they have not only saved a life, but also inspired us to be more vigilant, more prepared, and more compassionate with deepest respect and heartfelt gratitude. At that night, um, we had to perform CPR. Coach Linerode performed CPR until um, our athletic trainer was able to take over and we had an ambulance show up. 
Um, we had an AED um, that had to be um, used on the field that night. Um, and as we looked at the report from all that, um, you know, if it weren't for the action of our coaches, um, our Edgewood community would be one less at this time. Next, Assistant Superintendent Matt Irwin gave his report, including updates on projects approved in previous meetings, such as the replacement of the high school gym floor that will be finished next week. Later, the 2024 budget was unanimously adopted, and the Director of Teaching and Learning Ready Schools, Jennifer Barrett, reported on a $56,000 grant that the school district received. We are working in the EJHS design lab, trying to make it safer for staff and students. Um, what I mean by that is we're putting about $4,000 into updating the HVAC um, exhaust fan in there, as well as the dust collection uh, system that we currently use. That is the least exciting part of what we're doing with these funds by far. Um, we are also, uh, the kids are designing and building mobile kiosks that will be used for all of our student-run businesses. So you'll start seeing those literally roll out uh, for uh, basketball games, after-school events, and you will see our kids there working as they are, as you are coming into games or anything like that. Do not be surprised if you see a nice big monitor showing you uh, the latest apparel or the latest uh, products that can be created by our student run businesses and make sure that you stop and buy something because we are counting on you for those sales. Uh, we also are buying some additional tools for metal working um, at the junior high lab, some additional Prusa uh, 3D printers. One piece I'm super excited about is uh, robotics is no longer just an after-school club at the junior high. Uh, Miss Kelly Grimes has about 75 students signed up for after-school, which is incredible. Um, but there's a whole other population of students that are already very busy after school. And so what happens is we have our robotics club. And we have our kids who play sports and other after-school activities. And so what happens is there is a split, and you can't do both. And so uh, Kelly, and along with the junior high administration and counseling team, they are actually going to offer robotics next year as an elective in seventh grade for those students. Um, so we are purchasing not just VEX IQ competition kits for our competition teams, but now classroom bundles for those students that are interested in coding and programming, but don't necessarily have that time after school to be able to do that. In addition, uh, we are getting into the plastics business, and um, that does not mean uh, cosmetics. We are getting into uh, what's called precious plastics, and this is um, such a tremendous opportunity for our kids. Uh, we are actually purchasing the equipment to build a commercial-grade shredder uh, to put down in the makerspace at EPS and EIS. What that will look like is over the next several months, we'll be working on this process where we will be taking uh, plastic recyclables, for, recyclables from our community, shredding those down. Our little guys will be sorting and doing all of those pieces. And then we're going to take those up to the high school where we have an extruder, which is just a fancy word for a heater, and uh, molding all of those down, melting them down, and molding them into large plastic sheets. And that becomes material then that we use for furniture design, uh, jewelry, keychains. Um, so instead of purchasing the plastic that our kids will be using, we're going to start uh, taking those uh, products and actually doing something with that and creating that ourselves. 
Um, then the best part is those uh, semi-finished projects go products go right back down to EPS and EIS, and they put the finishing touches on them down there with customization with their Cricut machines, things like that, so that all three of our labs are now going to be involved in our student-run businesses. In addition, uh, you will see uh, some embroidery options coming out from ILC Designs that will be delivered here in the next week or two, and we will have capabilities just like any uh, commercial business in our area. We'll have a 14-color uh, embroidery machine that we'll be learning how to use for hats, sweatshirts, you name it, bags, we can embroider on it. Um, we will have a screen printing business up and running by next school year. Um, after our edge uh, moves over into their new space, that will become our screen printing area for the next part of ILC Designs. And in addition to that, we are continuing to invest in our PBL cohort support to make sure that our teachers are continuing to learn how to teach in ways that make uh, the content engaging and relative to what the students are doing day in and day out. The meeting ended with a comment from Larry DeMoss on the need to be actively supporting students, especially those in the marching band. The next Richland Bean Blossom School Board meeting will be held on November 20th at 6 p.m. During the October 24th meeting of the Monroe County Community School Corporation, the school board halted a policy that would have created new high school schedules for the 2025-26 school year. Vice President of the School Board, April Hennessy, introduced a motion that would designate scheduling as a board voting matter rather than a decision made solely by the superintendent. In light of process problems over the course of high school scheduling alignment, I recommend that the MCCSD Board of School Trustees take this matter on as a voting issue to ensure programmatic, thoughtful, and ethical review of the issues, the solutions, and stakeholder input. My criteria to ensure that this happens are as follows. Focus groups should be conducted conducted as planned to gain insight, hear feedback, and collect data. Data should be shared both with the board and the community in a transparent and timely manner. A citizen's advisory committee should be formed according to MCCSC Board Policy Manual 9140 to help evaluate data, research both the issue and potential solutions, and recommend their course of action to the district and the board. The union should be consulted for their stakeholder feedback and input as is customary either by law or by the will of the board to do so. The timeline for the implementation should be revised for a 2025-2026 implementation at the earliest, but may be extended depending on the time necessary for thorough evaluation of the issues and teacher preparation of curricula, should alignment be the final outcome. In a situation where the data are not immediately available or are unclear, conflicting, or sparse due, to dil due diligence is required. This situation warrants such a process to gather further data and provide research-driven solutions toward measurable outcomes for the best interest of all of our students. Hennessy continued to provide her rationale behind the motion and expressed her frustration in how the process had played out. As we move forward as a district, I'd hope to see the same ferocity of commitment and conversation about what is equitable and not equitable when we have discussions about balancing SES in our schools, about the vast disparity in PTO monies and resources for our children, and how we remedy the need for quality, supplemented access to early childhood education for many students out there who need this desperately. However, I am also gravely concerned and frustrated with the way that this process has rolled out. The lack of transparency, data, 
manageable timeline and meaningful stakeholder input is in my perspective egregious and does not avoid those unacceptable choices, conditions, and activities. From the start of this process, I have called for us to lead with open communication and data and to engage the community in meaningful input and conversations. Those requests have fallen largely on deaf ears or have been met too late, in my opinion, or without true ethical intent. The letter on Friday made clear that a plan does and has existed despite the fact that I was told and this community was told that there was no plan. The letter, the superintendent's letter, which came out earlier this month by way of Parent Square, stated that a student, teacher, and community input will be received prior to the design of a new schedule. The fragile trust that had been generated by the announcement of focus groups has been obliterated and has not only put the upcoming referendum at risk, but I fear all other referenda at risk as well. The board has been elected and endowed with the authority to exercise their best judgment in determining policies, making decisions, and approving procedures for carrying out the responsibility. We all know that we will have to make decisions that are often unpopular or difficult, but I would ask of you to consider how we execute that responsibility. I'd ask that we do so with a process that is above board, that builds trust rather than diminishes it, and does so in a way that is data-informed, measurable, and collaborative with the stakeholders who've entrusted us to lead. That is the reason for the motion before you today. Superintendent Dr. Jeff Hoswald said the proposed scheduling changes were introduced because of equity concerns. Board member Ashley Pirani asked how those concerns were taken into account. Um, so speaking first at, about regarding South schedule, um, this, this, this term and concept of tracking, um, we began identifying that. Um, we began studying what that meant. And, and, and what that means is that, um, and, and I, I think it was uh, oh, Vice President Hennessy mentioned a lot of letters they've received. We have two. Um, and what that means is that um, not to take anything away from the, the 45 voices tonight, but the practice that we are, are doing is that we have um, a lot of classes um, that are require three trimesters, and this is the design of the school, some require two. And so what happens is when students are, um, are, are selected to be in English 9 and English 10 versus Honors English 9 or other iterations of that, they are required to take what, what the school calls long, long classes. Um, and because of that, that ties up a significantly larger number of their courses. Um, and that's very different than um, taking um, two semesters or two trimesters and then repeating if additional knowledge is meant to be learned. In other words, we are um, specifically identifying upfront students that we believe need 50% more time in a class or the same curriculum. And so what we started, this comes to the equity conversation. When we looked at that, we identified that, for example, students, uh, as a state's term, um, free reduced lunch for more complex students. We oftentimes say students of poverty um, um, from disinvested communities. What we began to learn is that because of this practice, there were inequities, and that is that those students had received so many and, and so many classes in uh, Algebra 1, Algebra 2, English 9, English 10, English 11, that that was taking away a significantly amount, a significant number of credits, which oftentimes go for electives. Now, when they still follow uh, the, the, the path of course requirements, so you have your bio, your science classes, and your social studies classes, foreign language, for example, if you want to work towards a, an honors diploma in those classes, we realized that suddenly um, 
if you think about those six classes, there were six more, a significant number of more credits for students that were on a more high ability track. And it, and it did correlate with students of poverty, for example. Also a significant correlation for students with disabilities. And a lot of students and I have talked about how much they love the arts. Now, don't take away the arts. They've talked about how much they, they, they love uh, other electives. A lot of students have shared with me in emails that they wanted to take weights at Bloomington South, but they were told they couldn't because they had required courses. We had emails from students saying that they wanted to take courses in the arts. So we understand that arts are rich at South, but our team, we have an equity team at our, at our district office, began to identify that the structure was limiting a lot of students from that. And so that was a concern. The concern wasn't that, um, um, you know, the, the concern wasn't necessarily what the right schedule was, but we did identify that we had concerns for the current schedule and the practice. 45 parents and students shared their concerns about the policy during public comment. Rebecca Baxter, a sophomore at Bloomington High School South, said she doesn't believe equity concerns would be solved with identical schedules. I'm addressing the schedule change, and I would like to apologize for repeating topics, but I have new evidence and reasoning that I would like to be heard. Specifically today, I would like to address the email the board sent out Friday. While helpful on some level, this email failed to address several issues brought up by students and teachers thoroughly. As many students have already said, and as stated in both teacher letters to the board, the issues with equity in our schools will not be resolved by identical schedules. And I do believe this is well known by the board. In their email to the community, the board addressed how the current practice of attending classes an average of two and a half days a week at North disproportionately impacts our priority populations. However, this makes no sense considering how the proposed schedule change would offer each class the same amount of time on a block schedule. And very ironically, the acknowledgement of inequity within one school that uses the same schedule for every student shows how an identical schedule doesn't solve the equity issues the board is concerned about. And equity like this is a lot harder to achieve than equality like mentioned. In this situation, we likely have to expand the bus system majorly to achieve it. But when you take time to think about it, the administration's bias in this situation is obvious. In that hypothetical, it would lie on the administration to find funding and shuffle around bus routes. In this change, it falls directly and almost exclusively on teachers to restructure their entire curriculum in under nine months notice. Most will have two or three different classes to do this for, and all will do so on unpaid time. The people making this decision are not the ones that it will impact. I know over half of the board members' terms will expire in 2024 before this decision is seen in action, and I ask the members of the board to prioritize the legacy they will hold in this community in their decision regardless of whether they will return to serve us in 2025. I also ask the board to prioritize transparency. It's very clear to everyone here that we were not really meant to have a real voice in this, and actions taken now do not fix that. The administration continues to use data that we cannot verify, and given all that's happened in this past month, we don't exactly feel compelled to trust them to supply us with all the data that is available. Saying that they have brought up all relevant data and that they value our opinions after all this is tacky at best and patronizing at worst. And if they were simply too rushed in writing the notice of this change to send it out in time for, in time for us to prepare for the board meeting the next day last month, maybe that says something about how rushed this decision is. I asked the board again to prioritize our input, prioritize data, and prioritize functional equity 
and I sincerely hope that the superintendent's decision will reflect, will reflect these priorities. Thank you all very much. The board voted four to three in favor of shifting the authority of scheduling changes away from the superintendent and to the school board as a voting matter. No scheduling changes will be made prior to next school year. Abortion is now illegal in Indiana with very few exceptions after a new state law went into effect in August. Here in Bloomington, the local chapter of All Options supports those seeking an abortion in neighboring states through their Hoosier Abortion Fund. They also run a diaper giveaway program for families struggling to afford them. All Options State Program Director Jessica Marchbank is our guest this week on a new episode of Activate, coming your way right now on the WFHB Local News. Welcome to Activate, featuring real people, working for positive change in our community, encouraging you to get involved, live your passion, and make a difference. Hello, my name is Jessica Marchbank with All Options. So All Options is a national nonprofit organization that started almost 20 years ago to create a place that was safe for people to go to for resources around not just pregnancy, not just parenting, not just abortion, not just adoption, but all of the above, because in most of our lives, these things will intersect. So uh, we stand for supporting people as parents. So we have a diaper program. We stand for supporting people to access abortion care. So we have an abortion fund for the whole state of Indiana. And um, likewise, people can come to us for peer counseling, for condoms, for emergency contraceptive, pads, tampons, even menstrual cups and reusable pads, you name it. We're here to support people with some of their most basic but also most urgent needs. I am privileged enough that when my kids were in diapers, I could go to the store and be like, wow, these diapers are really expensive. Dang, but I could afford them. And I always, like I think a lot of people do, assumed there must be some public aid program for diapers because why would there not be? And so since January 1st of 2023, we have distributed over 140,000 diapers to families of Bloomington and Monroe County. People who have babies, they're gonna spend 80 bucks to 100 bucks a month, every month, per baby. And so many people just don't have that. So people are often put in a position of having to choose between utilities or food or diapers. And so, we strive to lift that one burden from families and really support them in that way. The other part of what we do here locally and at the state level is the Hoosier Abortion Fund. When I started at All Options, I was one of those people who couldn't really comfortably say the word abortion, even though I'd had one. So coming to All Options, first of all, helped me realize that abortion is normal and super common. And one thing that is really important that we we really want everyone in Indiana right now to know is that although Indiana is going to experience a near total abortion ban 
it is okay to seek care in other states and that there are organizations like ours and other organizations in place to help people access abortion care. We want Hoosiers to feel supported and not scared, even though it is scary. All Options is here to help. And what I want people to do is to get involved in whatever way moves them. We've been seeing about 25 new families every single month join our diaper program. So what we need and how people can help is always with diapers or donations to our diaper program, as well as on the other side of things, donations to the abortion fund, because that is going to be really crucial in the coming in the coming months and years to help Hoosiers access the full range of their options. How they can contact us is, the best way is really going to our website. Our All Options Indiana website is www.alloptionsprc.org. That's alloptionsprc.org. They can call or text us at our little building on South Walnut at 812-558-0089. That's all options at 812-558-0089. We always need volunteers to help with our diaper program. And we will also be opening a training for volunteer caseworkers on our abortion fund this fall. So if anyone is interested in volunteering with us, I encourage them to get in touch as well. This is Jessica Marchbank with All Options. And I believe everyone deserves all options. You've been listening to Activate, true stories from friends and neighbors who stand up for what they believe in. Activate is a partnership between WFHB and the City of Bloomington Volunteer Network, working together to build a strong, healthy, and engaged community with production support from students in the media school at Indiana University. You can learn more about volunteer opportunities in the WFHB listening area online at bloomingtonvolunteernetwork.org. That's BloomingtonVolunteerNetwork.org.